You know, every Sunday I come up here to preach, my friend Ken, he always leaves me cough drops. Every time I preach and speak, I always have a cough drop in my mouth. And so, some, one, I had one little old lady ask me once, are you dipping? First Samuel chapter 22. Let me start off as we're going to spend three weeks in this chapter. We're going to talk about some very serious, some very difficult issues. Uh, and to do that, I hope I can have your freedom to bring a little levity to a sometimes difficult or dark situation. So today we start off talking about a disorderly story, and today we're going to talk about when life is chaotic. Every generation has a movie that might define it. If you're a senior citizen, maybe older, maybe you think of Gone with the Wind as the pinnacle movie. Maybe you're one of those young guys who grew up in the 50s and you think of uh, Rebel Without a Cause. For my generation, a, a Gen Xer, the Christmas movie especially that defines our Christmas time has a specific line from it that starts with, you'll shoot your eye out. And if you know that line, you know it's from A Christmas Story. And A Christmas Story tells the story of Ralphie trying to get a Red Ryder BB gun for Christmas. But see, that's really not what the movie is about. The movie is really about his disillusionment as he sort of grows up and sees that life isn't really what it was promised to be. It's really not a movie about a Christmas story. It's really a disorderly story. So with that in mind, I want to each week give you a little clip from the movie to kind of lighten the mood on sometimes a difficult, serious subject. There's a scene in the movie at a shopping uh, department store. And that movie, and I, I edited it down, I could have played it longer. But that scene really shows not only the craziness of Christmas, and by the way, it's coming. You can't stop it. It shows the craziness of Christmas, but you know, it also shows the craziness of just life. And by the way, it also shows how shockingly we used to treat children. You could never get away with this clip. This could never happen today. Santa would be arrested. There would be people. That I, just watch how crazy this is. Gentlemen.
what Facebook would be like if that happened today. It's unbelievable that kids were, that's not far, kids were treated that way. But the craziness of that scene, it's not just the craziness, and it's not a great example of the craziness that sometimes Christmas is. And by the way, as you take a step back, I loved Santa, I loved having it, our kids, we, Santa comes to our house. The whole concept of a guy in a red suit and a beard sneaking into your kid's home is a little creepy. Okay, no one else thinks that. But anyways, <laughs> then you get to Easter with the big, huge, amplimophoric bunny. I, all right. It talks, listen, that craziness, that scene, it's not just Christmas like that. You know, for a lot of people, in fact, maybe for most people, that's every day. Let me just start off as we talk about chaos and confusion and say this, that God is not the author of confusion. God is not the author of chaos. He does not create it. We have confusion and chaos in our country from not knowing what a gender is. Let me just clarify something for you. There's only two. And how do you know there's only two? It's called science. X, 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 Y. There you go. It's called chromosomes and everything. We don't know what bathroom to use, but we have homes that are in mass confusions and everything. Listen, God is not the author of confusion, but you understand that God will use confusion. He's not the author of it, but God will use confusion in your life. So as we start this today, our thought is this, my story, a life anchored to Jesus can endure chaos. What is your story going to say? At the end of your life, when they talk about you at the funeral home, when it's sitting around Christmas, at the end of time and we look back on your life, what is your story going to say? Is your story going to be a, a story of confusion, chaos, and drama? Or will your story be a testimony to what Jesus Christ can do? You see, every life is anchored to something. I use that word on purpose. Every life is anchored to something. Your life could be anchored to money. Your life could be anchored to something as drugs. And you say, well, of course we wouldn't use drugs. But you know, drugs and money are just two, they're, they're equally silly things to anchor your life to. You need to anchor your life to something that's sure, a sure foundation, a solid rock, a cornerstone, something that has been tried and tested. May I suggest to you today that the thing you should anchor your life to is Jesus. And say, so how do I anchor my life to Jesus? Well, that's salvation when you accept Christ. And it starts with Romans chapter 10, 13. For whosoever, aren't you glad you're a, who, a whosoever? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
you were a sinner separated from God, but God loved you and sent Jesus. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord to ask to be forgiven, to be saved, will be washed white as snow. They will be anchored to the rock that is Jesus. But you're here and you're saved and stuff still comes into your life and life is chaotic. What do I do then, Pastor? You call upon the name of the Lord then. You see, it's Jesus who did that for you. It is Jesus who can take something as chaotic as sin and wash it away. And it's Jesus who can take a chaotic life and you can save it. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, David's life is in chaos. In fact, there's two people in chaos, David and Saul. We're going to see as we go through this chapter the two different responses, the two different ways one person responds to chaos and stress and how another person. David is running from his life from King Saul, the other person. I don't know if you can get more chaotic than running from your life. Think about that as Christmas season starts, as Thanksgiving. Anyone in here cooking a big Thanksgiving meal for a bunch of people who won't appreciate it? One of you? Anybody else? No? Raise your hand. Nobody appreciates it. Just one of you? Okay. As you're going through that, remember, nothing, trying to get a turkey. Why do we do turkey? Why don't we just do fried chicken? There's nothing better than fried chicken. Just fried chicken, mashed potatoes, gravy. You're going to be eating that in heaven. You might as well get used to it. But anyway, no matter what chaos is going through your life, just remember this. It's not as chaotic as someone trying to kill you. Let me just give you reasons for chaotic times just so we can sort of set a baseline here. Number one, we get chaos in our life because we are the cause of it. We are the cause of it. If we step back and looked at our life and looked at the issues we've done and look at the problems we have in our life, the overwhelming reason for it would be the person you see in the mirror. Number two, it's part of life. When your life is finally perfect, when your life is finally perfect and at peace and every problem is solved, I have bad news for you, it means you're dead. The only time you will experience perfection and peace and everything being order and everything look like it's going to turn out correctly is when you get to heaven. This life is a chaotic event. And number three, God allows it. You notice I use that word, allows it? There's a theological term and it's called sovereignty. It's a great word to learn. Listen, another word for chaos is depression. And when you realize that God is sovereign, meaning he is in absolute control, he allows certain things to come in for his reasons and for his glory. Look, family and friends bring us support during difficult times, but you know what is failure? Failure gives you your greatest ministry opportunities. I can get up here and talk till I'm blue in the face about divorce about alcohol problems and addictions, about bankruptcy and about, I can talk about all sorts of things, but you know who has probably a higher standard than me, who, who people will listen to more? It's people who've gone through divorce. It's people who've gone through addiction. It's people who've gone through bankruptcy. It's people who've gone through heartache and problems. And when you hear their testimony and they say, I have been where you are at and look where I am here today, sometimes we see failure and we see difficult times and we think, God, why? Why are you allowing this? You are sovereign. You could change this. You could end this out of my life. And God is looking back at us and saying, I'm going to use this to allow you to minister to so many people. See, will your story... Will your story be that chaos came in and it destroyed your life? That depression crippled you? That the loss of somebody you loved put a scar on your heart and you never healed from it? Or will your story be that God was faithful? God was faithful even when you were a single mom. God was faithful even when you caused the problems. 
God was faithful even when your mother said you were useless. God was faithful when your husband walked out on you. God was faithful when you turned your back on him and turned to a bottle. God was still faithful. Will your story be a testimony to how great God was even during difficult times? You see, when everything's perfect, we tend to not need God, do we? Anybody can serve Jesus when everything were perfect. But when you walk through those valleys, when you have friends stab you in the back, when you have people you thought you could count on get up and leave, and you realize the only person that stayed was Jesus, that's when your faith begins to grow. Sometimes God allows the difficult chaos I may not be able to tell you why today, but one day you will know. And by faith, we follow. So we have David's life as a backdrop of 1 Samuel 22. In chaotic times, you need, I'm going to give you four things as we go through this. Number one, you need a family to lean on. Look at verse one. Saul's trying to kill him, so what does he do? David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Abdullam. Abdullam is a cave, but it has a meaning. The, the, the name of the word Abdullam means refuge. May I say to you today, everyone in here needs an Abdullam. Everyone in, in need here needs a cave of refuge. Where is your cave of refuge? And when you answer that question, that will tell you all you really need to know about your chaotic times. If your cave of refuge is psychology, if your cave of refuge is common sense, if your cave of refuge is your own personal ability to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, if it's not Jesus, you're going to have some difficult times in your life. And verse 1 says this, And when his brethren in his father's house heard it, this is how you know who's your family. When they heard it, they didn't run away. Like firemen, I, I, I admire firemen. Natural instinct is to run away from a house on fire or to run away from chaos and trauma. But firemen and policemen run into the trauma, into the chaos, run into the fire. That's what family does. When things are destroyed, when things are horrible, family doesn't get up and walk out, family runs to you. And what do they do? And they went down thither to him. One person said this, Sir, listen, an exhaustive study shows that no woman has ever shot her husband while he was doing the dishes. <laughs> Sounds right. You need a family. See, this, that word family, this is what church is supposed to be. We're not a group of committees. We're not a board. We're not a denomination, we're not a religious organization, we are a family. We are brothers and sisters, how? Because we all know Christ as our personal savior. We are a family. You see, when you make mistakes, family, family forgives each other. When you're in desperate need, family comes running and pulls you out. So much of your life story has been written by your family in the past. See, you need a new family. You need God's family. Number two, in chaotic times, you need fellow travelers to call on. Look at verse two. 
and everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt. Oh, amen. And everyone that was disconnected and everyone that had five children and little girls. And, oh, and everyone gathered themselves unto him and he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. 400 men come running to David. You know why they came running? Because they had something in common. 400 men had something in common, and that common was a mutual enemy. They came and they gathered because they had a mutual enemy in King Saul. Isn't that the point of Sunday morning? Isn't that the point of the church meeting as a group of believers? Because we have a mutual enemy in Satan. But we also have a mutual savior in Jesus Christ. You see, the greatest advertisement for being involved in a fellowship of believers that is the local New Testament church is the acceptance that happens at the front door. But unfortunately, we put on masks. At a church I pastored when I was young, we had an interesting setup. The parking lot was in the back and the front door was in the back. Baptist. And so I stood there with the guy who held the door open, and I would greet people as they came in and stuff. And I found it interesting, because I could watch them drive in, because there was a long kind of drive, and then they parked back there. And you'd watch, especially married couples, because nobody fights better than a married couple. They know everything about you, don't they? They know all your flaws. They know exactly where to hit you. They know exactly. It's like two magicians dueling. Oh, well, here's your card. Well, here, how about this? There's a rabbit, you know? And yeah, I would watch these couples come in, and you can tell when a married couple's fighting in a car. It, you don't have to hear it. I'm married. I know what it looks like. And you can see them yelling at each other and everything. And you can, who knows what's being said and everything. And I saw one time a wife threw something at him as she was driving. And he stuck his finger back at her. And the kids were in the back seat. And they came in there. And there was this big commotion. And as soon as they opened the door, they, they held hands high as they walked towards her. <laughs> you liars! See, when we come to church, when we come to the place where we need help, we put on a mask and we pretend that everything is okay and all of our life is perfect and our family and our marriage and our kids and there's nothing wrong with our car and everything's good. And then we wonder why nobody reached out to us. All of us need a place where fellow travelers come during a time of chaos in our life. And honestly, you can try the mall. A lot of people like it. You can try a club. You can try AA. I haven't found any place better than a good church. You know what will change your life story? Connecting with other believers. The fellowship. Iron sharpens iron. Number three. In chaotic times, you need God's will to depend on. Look at verse three. David says something amazing here. And David went thence to Mizpah of Moab, and he came unto the king of Moab. Let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you, till I know what God will do for me. And he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the while David was abode. It is that end of verse 3 where David gets the right idea for his problem and his chaos. And at the end of verse 3, he says, till I know what God will do for me. Before David needs to make one more decision, before David needs to make a, a determining factor in his life in the midst of chaos, David wants to know what God's will is. There's an old cartoon. 
two little children walking down the street, one side and one child says, do you know what God's will is for you? The other child looks, God's will? I didn't even know he was sick. That's good. I don't care. I think it's funny. Thank you for supporting me, church. Anyways, it's always nice to have a place to go to. But anyways, so you know, that's how many people treat God's will. They don't even know it exists. Or that they do think of it. It's, it's just so far away, you can't possibly know it. Listen, I want to tell you something. You can know God's will for your life. How do I know God's will? Real simple. Read your Bible. Get into God's word. When you're reading God's word, you'll be surprised what God will reveal to you. Prayer. May I change your prayer life and maybe stop talking about the things you need from God? But I need to know God's will. Stop talking about the things you need from God. Start lifting up other believers in Christ who need things and start praising God. And at some point in your prayer life, as much as you talk to God, spend the exact amount of time sitting there listening to God. Because you will find God talks to you during prayer. Number three, fellowship with growing Christians. I, I put that in. I don't just say Christians because not all Christians are growing. Listen, a carnal Christian has more in common with the world will give you bad advice as an unsaved person. Get around a growing Christian. Every, every believer should have a mentor slash discipler. Somebody who is discipling and mentoring, and every believer should be discipling, mentoring someone else. So when times of crisis and chaos comes and you're not sure what to do and you say, well, I prayed about it, I've read God's will, then I go to a believer who I trust who's growing in their faith and I say, what should I do and give me some help? And number four, seek it. God knows we're not, look, God knows we're not smart. He doesn't make this difficult. God calls us sheep. Do you know why he calls us sheep? Because sheep are the dumbest animals alive. We come, I mean, we come up with those beautiful songs, majesty, we lift this all up to God. You know, to God's ears, it's basically, bah. <laughs> God knows we're not that bright. Oh, it's so difficult to find God's will. It is one of the easiest things in the world. What's difficult is to actually do God's will in your life. Now, let me just ask you a question here. God knows ahead of time when we're going to have difficult things in our life. He knows it, and he, he's already plan he is planning out the greatest trauma in your life. He has already planned it out. Some of you have already gone through it, and you can give testimony. He has already planned it out. Why does David take his family and hide his family in Moab? Why Moab? Well, if you know David, and if you know your Bible, you know that David has a great-grandmother. David's great-grandmother has a book of the Bible named after her, Ruth. And Ruth was from where? Ruth was from Moab. You see, so David is running to family in Moab. David has relatives there that he can trust. And I believe, because I know God is in control and he is sovereign, and I know God has a plan for my life, and I know God in the midst of the greatest trauma that's going on, God has already thought this through for me. I believe long before David was born, David knew, God knew that David would need a place to hide his family and brought a little Moabite girl named Ruth and had her marry a Jewish boy named Boaz and eventually had a grandchild named David and God planned this out long before David was ever born. You say, oh, Pastor, I don't, I don't think that's true. Well, then I don't know what God you're listening to or what God you have. My God looks out for me. My God knows the future and the past. My God has a perfect plan for my life. 
say, I can depend on God's will for my life because long before that trauma came in, God, God had already started working on it. See, your life story should be God's will for you. Your life story should be God's will story. Listen, you know what Oakland Woods future is going to be? You know what the God's will for Oakland Woods, what the future, God's will for Oakland Woods, it's going to be reaching the world. That's what this offering in, in December is about. It's about helping missionaries. You say, well, I pray for our missionaries. That is awesome. But you know what? Airplane tickets cost money. And food costs money in Africa and China and South America as much as it does here and some places more. They need your help. We are going to be about reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Say amen. The future in God's will for the Oakland Woods is about reaching boys and girls right here in our community. And even if they tear up our building and even if they make Pastor Steve's hair start turning grayer and grayer, even if we have to put more resources and our students are probably going to have to move over here to the uh, build, the, 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 we have to go to the, el the elementary school up here on Sashville. What's it called? We're probably going to have to rent out their building because we don't have enough room. There's too many kids and we have too many students in our building on Wednesday night. Even though that's an extra cost for us, we are going to reach boys and girls. We're going to reach teenagers for Jesus. If most people get saved before the age of 20, then we're going to do everything we can to reach boys and girls for Jesus. Rick Harris, I, I mentioned you and I bragged about you on Wednesday night. I want to brag about Rick Harris' Sunday school class from here. They switched their classes because the jam group was too big. Sometimes jam has 30, 40 kids in it. And Rick left the best classroom, and his class left the best classroom in this church to move down to a children's classroom. And the only thing they asked for was nice padded chairs. <laughs> and so I got you nice padded chairs if you're in Rick's class. <laughs> but you know what that tells me? Rick's class gets it that we've got to reach boys and girls and we can't sacrifice anything on the altar of convenience to not reach them. So if you're part of Rick Harris's class, you get it, thank you. And if you enjoy those padded chairs, that's from me. <laughs> but let me tell you something, you know how God does all of this? He does it through churches. Next year we're gonna start, Pastor Ken's not gonna be here today. And it's for a great reason. One of the young men he's been mentoring, discipling, planting a church. Uh, I'm talking a little ahead, but maybe we should pray about this. Uh, this young man was, God put on his heart to start a church in Fenton. All right? One of our churches, the Southern Baptist Church, was closing in Fenton. They'd gotten down to five, sometimes three people. So they kind of reached out and through a series of bizarre, because God's in control, connected him, and so this young man that uh, Pastor Ken's been working with is preaching there this morning, and they're going to vote to make him their pastor. They're going to save that church and keep the doors open. And so Pastor Ken is taking his responsibility. This young man pastors in Lansing, so he's taking care of that responsibility. And uh, Pastor Ken's told me when he was talking about it, he said, thank you for letting me be gone for this. You know what, Oakland Woods, thank you for letting him be gone for this, because this is important. Him missing one Sunday does not compare to getting a church back on its feet and possibly taking a church. You know what? That church could close and they could sell that building and probably sell that land to some home developer or some strip mall or something else. Instead of there being a church on that corner, there could be a bar on that corner. Thank God there's going to be a church there. And Oakland Woods is going to be part of keeping there a gospel preaching church in Fenton. We're going to make sure there's one there. I know there's already some there, but we're going to add one more. And lastly, number four, 
In chaotic times, you need to follow through on God's will. This seems like the most obvious one, but the truth is God's will is not that hard to find. Most of us know what God's will is. The problem is we just don't want to do it. In verse 5, And the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide and hold, abide not in the, in the hold. Depart and get thee into the land of Judah. Then David departed and came unto the forest of Nahum. Gad becomes David's seer. 1 Samuel chapter 24, 11. It's two chapters away. We will get there sometime next year. But Gad becomes David's seer. What it means, he becomes his prophet. Gad becomes David's man of God in his life. David, a man after God's own heart, David probably next to Moses is the premier individual in the Old Testament. David still needed a man of God to tell him truth. He still needed somebody to speak truth into his life and to tell him what to do. Listen, you need a man of God to preach to you, to speak to you, to tell you things you might not want to hear. The worst reason to leave a church is because the pastor says something that you don't agree with. That's the worst reason. If it's doctrinal, leave. Leave over that. But if he steps on your toes, you need to re-examine your toes. Listen, a man of God, a pastor, is not a perfect man. You can say amen to that. You weren't supposed to. That's when somebody in the back stands up, ah, don't say anything bad about my pastor. Amen. I'm talking to my wife. Man of God, a pastor, is not a miracle worker. You see these false prophets who are going to pay in eternity like Benny Hen. See some of these people who are preaching for God's for money, who are just trying to get a group together to make them feel better about themselves. Man of God is not a miracle worker. A man of God who is something, somebody who will simply proclaim God's word to you, who will tell you the truth you may not want to hear, but tell you the truth you need to hear. Not everybody has that view of a pastor. After the church service, a little boy told the pastor, when I grow up, I'm going to give you some money. Well, thank you, said the pastor, but, but why? Well, the little boy said, because my daddy says you're one of the poorest preachers we've ever had. That's the type of kid when you baptize him, you hold him under just a little bit longer. <laughs> Listen, the best way to follow through on God's will during chaos times, just follow through on what you've been told. Let me ask you this question as we wrap up. What would happen in your life? What would your life look like if you had and in the future will routinely do God's will? How many problems would you have avoided? How many problems in the future will you bypass? How many blessings of God are you missing out on? What would your life look like if you routinely, in the future, did God's will for your life? David gets God's word from God's man, and David goes, and he does it. So let me test it with you today. 
You need to be saved. You need to know Christ as your personal Savior. Will you respond? You need to repent. You've got something in your life that needs to change, an attitude or a sin or a problem. Will you respond or will you stay comfortable in your sin? You need to turn your life over to Jesus today. Life is chaos. Will you respond or will you hold on to the car keys of your life? Listen, the key to dealing with chaos is simply knowing who God is. So let me just throw this at you as we end. Who is God? God is knowable. Don't let some religious person or somebody tell you, oh, you can never know God or his will. That's a lie. God is approachable. The only way we approach God is through Jesus Christ. So if you know Christ as your personal Savior, today at this very moment, you can go into the throne room of God. And unlike so many people and unlike sometimes churches and religion, God is forgiving. God is honest. You might not like what he says, and you cannot manipulate God. Your words are not more powerful than God, and God does not have to do anything you say. But God is honest. And lastly, and here's something, maybe, maybe the whole message, the whole reason God brought you is for this last line, because your life is chaos and there's depression and you just feel like everything is slipping away. He is capable. He is capable of getting you out of that pit. He is capable of getting you through this trauma. He is capable of walking with you. The Lord is my shepherd. And when I walk through the valley of darkness, and when I'm in the world, and when I'm far from him, he is still there. Whether I need a kind shepherd who will put his arm around me, or whether I need a shepherd who will take his staff and hit me over the head and pull me back in, my Lord is capable. And he can get me through any dark, chaotic times in my life. I want to close with something. I had originally planned on something. I'm not going to use that, Greg. I want to take a couple minutes. Can I be honest with you and real with you? Most pastors don't do what I'm about to do. Probably the reason why. Periodically, I suffer with depression. Mostly seasonal. But I'm not moving to Florida. <laughs> this last week, usually when it's fall's coming, this was a hard week. I didn't get off the couch for two days. And you know, you go through the seasonal times and you think of all the stuff you're supposed to do and then I start thinking of all the stuff I have to do and I look outside and I didn't even sit on my deck one day this summer. I didn't even have a bonfire with my kids one time. I start thinking about all I didn't do and then it's coming cold and it's going to get really cold and everything and then you start thinking of silly things. Well, the Steelers are going to beat the Ravens. And what about that? And when's Le'Veon Bell coming back? And then you, you start thinking of other stuff. I got a wedding. How am I going to pay for this wedding? I know the preacher would do it for free. 
And this is how God works. He's kind of laying on the couch, staring at the ceiling, thinking, I need to fix the ceiling, but I don't know how to fix the ceiling. I need electrical work, but I don't know how to do that. And I'm just laying there. And little Chloe, she's the oldest of the three that we're adopting. Chloe's four. And uh, I have no idea why she did this. She walked up to me, and I'm just laying there. She kisses me on the cheek, and I'm, I'm not lying, okay? I'm telling the exact truth. This is exactly what happened. She kisses me on the cheek, and she says, Dad, I'm on your team. <laughs> and so I said, well, well, thank you. I didn't even know there were teams. <laughs> I said, is it me and you against the rest of them in this house? And she just smiled and then walked away. You know, sometimes when life is chaos, sometimes when you feel like you're in a pit, you just need someone to come by and say, I'm on your side. I'm on your team. Those of you that are in here and you suffer with depression, I understand a small amount of what you probably go through daily. Those of you who have lost somebody, one of the reasons October is so hard for me is uh, my dad's birthday and mine are only two days apart. So I never celebrate my birthday. It's just kind of doesn't seem right. October is a bad month. I'm one of those people that always remembers dates. And I had a lot of bad things happen to me in October. Well, I remember 15 years ago this happened today. Eight years ago this happened. And then nine years ago today, my best friend stabbed me in the back. Yeah, I remember that. I remember. It seems like October is that month. You know, sometimes it's so easy to let the chaos take over your life story. But sometimes you just need somebody to tell you, I'm on your side. If you're here and you know Christ as your personal Savior, He's on your side today. You can make it. It feels bad, doesn't it? There's a scar in your heart. There's a hole. Somebody you love won't serve Jesus. Somebody you cared about so much has passed away too early. You don't know how you're going to make the bills. I'd like to say something to you on behalf of Jesus today. Jesus. 